You're listening to Hope Gateway Conversations, discussions and presentations of interest to the Hope Gateway community. Inspired by the words of Micah 6.8, our mission is to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Sean McConnell is the Senior Director of Engagement for Episcopal Relief and Development, which is the compassionate response of the Episcopal Church to human suffering in the world. In a wide-ranging conversation, he shares the life experience of an internally displaced person and her family, and invites us into relationship with persons in Ukraine and around the world who are suffering because of the war by continuing and perhaps re-energizing our generous support of the interfaith humanitarian efforts of ACT Alliance. Sean, thanks for making some time today to talk with the Hope Gateway community. Tell us a little bit, to begin with, about Episcopal Relief and Development and your responsibilities there in terms of engagement. Well, Episcopal Relief and Development is the NGO of the Episcopal Church. Its uh, uh, focus is, um, uh, it's, it's a dual focus. It has a focus in international development and in disaster response and, and um, resilience and preparation as well as an important piece of that. Um, in our international development work, we, we um, really do focus on three priority areas. Uh, we like to say that we focus on women, children, and climate because that's easy for us to remember. Um, our work with women really is um, primarily focused on uh, ending and abating um, uh, sexual and gender-based violence, um, uh, violence against women and girls. And our, our, our work with children is um, it's a focus on integrated early childhood development. Um, especially in places where, um, uh, kind of in the beginning of that work, um, where children might not have had um, either one or both parents at home, uh, usually uh, in areas highly affected by HIV AIDS. And the work that we've done uh, in those areas really now has expanded to, um, to uh, help other areas where uh, vulnerable communities um, can come together and work together to uh, really um, uh, improve the, the lives of early childhood, especially. And then our climate work um, is focused on uh, um, helping to build resilience in communities that are um, highly affected by the changing climate, um, especially in uh, uh, areas where um, uh, sustainable ag agriculture is the, the the primary mode of uh, of um, food development. Um, so it really is about helping to build resilience for uh, food security reasons in areas where, um, when I started this work in 2013, uh, I would hear colleagues talk about the hunger season in Northern Ghana, for instance. And at that time, um, uh, that uh, that period of time was three to four months. From the time that uh, the uh, that uh, uh, stored foods from the previous growing season uh, would start to run out before um, uh, harvested foods were once again available, and from 2013 to now that has gone from three to four months to four to six months. So that is an expanding period for people. Um, so looking at how to build resilience in those areas. 
And then our other work is, um, so all of that is international development. Our other work is um, international and uh, focused in the United States, and that's uh, disaster resilience and response. So really helping to build the capacity of communities to be able to respond to disasters when they come, and then to use the tools that they have when disasters happen to be able to uh, to respond to those disasters, especially uh, focusing on the most vulnerable communities in in the, the communities where a disaster happens, those who are usually left behind, um, even when um, uh, certain groups tend to uh, to um, create good resources for you know what uh, what they would label as the poor. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there are still communities that are overlooked uh, following a disaster, so. Our uh, disaster uh, response focus really is on those who are not reached typically by uh, uh, the typical disaster response. Sure. I was looking on the Episcopal Relief and Development website and saw the mission statement, which is wonderfully succinct and, and very rich at the same time. It says, Episcopal Relief and Development is the compassionate response of the Episcopal Church to human suffering in the world. You've just outlined for us a number of of the aspects of caring for human suffering in one way or another. To be uh, a little more pointed towards the conversation with Hope Gateway in terms of our engagement with Episcopal Relief and Development uh, and the opportunity to partner in making a difference around the world. Katie Mears has been uh, very helpful as you just spoke about uh, disaster response within the United States and and her direction uh, with Episcopal Relief and Development. She suggested to us ACT Alliance to reach out to people in Ukraine who are suffering mightily in the midst of that, that terrible war. We had an opportunity beginning probably early March as the Hope Gateway community to to give some financial resources to help make a difference there. And I'd like to know a little bit more about ACT Alliance, particularly as it partners with Episcopal Relief and Development, and um, the other 139 partners within ACT Alliance. Um, You mentioned earlier, as we were beginning our conversation, that that's, I hate to say, just one of the terrible situations around the world. It's a relatively current one, and though it's fallen off the front page a little bit, it's still a profoundly horrific experience. So can you talk a little bit about that? And and will be for some time. Um, the, uh, it, the ACT Alliances um, uh, really did come together because there were a number of faith-based NGOs that recognized that they had um, shared goals and values that um, uh, when um, uh, a faith-based NGO is working in an area um, and realizes that there are opportunities to expand the capacity that they have to be able to respond simply by partnering with others that share their values and share um, the, um, the, their methodologies and their approaches to, um, to working to respond, uh, that 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 those opportunities cannot be passed up. Um, so really, it, it is about um, expanding that capacity. 
And so you have 149 different faith-based NGOs, and and that really it's um, it's remarkable that um, that you know these are communities that probably would not necessarily find other common ground always. Um, however, um, uh, when it comes to um, the values that they have for um, meeting the needs of the most vulnerable um, wherever uh, that work is happening, then, um, then they are able to expand the capacities uh, that, um, simply by coming together and partnering together. It's, it's interesting to me that, you know, with our focus the, with Episcopal Relief and Development, so the, the one partner in the 140 that I work for, um, you know, we have this strong focus on uh, um, on uh, um, ending gender-based violence, um, that gender is an issue for uh, ACT Alliance. And so it's one of the, the expressed values that all of these 140 uh, organizations share. And for some, that, that is really, um, you know, um, expressed by working with women's groups and existing women's groups in some of the countries that uh, they might work in, and for others, it is um, it really is um, about uh, uh, human rights uh, around issues of of uh, gender identity and expression, um, and um, and they come together no matter what and do this work. So, um, and the you know, and the reason for that is is that when they come together, they really are able to do much more together than they can do on their own. Um, the uh, another really fascinating thing to me is that it's you know it's it's not just um, a bunch of Protestant Christians. Mm -hmm. It is Orthodox. It is uh, certain um, branches of uh, Roman Catholicism. It is um, uh, different faiths. It is Judaism. It is it is um, uh, Muslim groups. It is uh, um, uh, an incredible. Um, uh, um, um, not only ecumenical but interfaith uh, expansion of these capacities that um, that uh, these groups do together. So, so to me, I think that that's just an amazing um, uh, thing that happens uh, with these groups. And um, and it's it's it, you know it's almost like a little United Nations of faiths um, of faith groups and faith based NGOs. Um, and I think that it's um, it, it's not nearly as um, um, uh, um, con you know, combative <laughs> as the as the United Nations, hmm. because these groups really do um, see each other as a, a real benefit in their work. Um, and it's uh, when you have a crisis like we have in Ukraine, it's it helps to then recognize um, when there's a part of the world that um, so you know for uh, the group that I'm in um, uh, we do have near Ukraine some uh, some uh, uh, churches and some uh, uh, some assets on the ground that we would work with um, but not really in Ukraine. And so, um, so to have these types of partners that are already on the ground in Ukraine, I think is a, a really, um, a, a, that to me immediately expands our capacity to be able to respond when we have the resources to be able to, uh, to partner with them and to do that work. So Hope Gateway is providing some resources that now 
have the ability to uh, to expand capacity on the ground, not only in Ukraine, but on the border and um, in places where um, uh, all of a sudden you have uh, expanding numbers of refugees on the ground. Um, and so, um, uh, you know, um, it's almost as if now Hope Gateway is on the ground, not only in Ukraine, but on the border and in the places where this response is happening because you are now partnered with those groups who are there. Um, so that to me is, um, uh, it's a part of the beauty of how the ACT Alliance works. Yeah. You're talking about the number of people who are displaced. Now, these are old numbers <laughs> by six weeks, so they're probably exponentially off. But on uh, one update, I saw at least 7 million refugees have crossed into neighboring countries. And you were saying earlier that you had some updates. Uh, it, it, it's, it's unfathomable to think that 7 million people are, it, that's more than the population of many states. Yeah. Uh, and certainly almost, uh, almost up to the same equivalent number of uh, New York metro area. Just, taking most of the New York metro area and sending them folks to another country. And that doesn't even begin to touch the number who are displaced internally and are hiding out in steel plants and subway stations and who knows where, as the next moment may be some armament raining down upon them. Yeah. Yeah. The, the numbers that came out from, uh, from, OCHA this morning, which is the United Nations Office uh, uh, for um, uh, Humanitarian Response. Um, what they provide is they provide numbers of registered um, uh, um, um, both refugees and IDPs or internally displaced persons. And so, so the numbers that they're actually able to count um, for people who've uh, fled into Europe. Um, so those are, these are just registered numbers in Europe is currently 5.8 million, and they recognize that it's another 2 to 2.5 million who are unregistered. So, so um, north of 7 million. Right. And then um, in just a month's time, um, it's interesting to me that the, the number of IDPs, internally displaced persons, has uh, the registered number has dropped by 1 million. So it was at 7.4, it's now 6.3. And, um, and so uh, what that tells me is um, there's two things happening there. Um, people are, are still getting out of the country and that those numbers are um, for IDPs are dropping um, because people are leaving Ukraine. Um, and then the other thing that's happening is that some people are going home um, and, um, and <clears throat> returning to places that they have left Mm -hmm. and are no longer being counted as IDPs. And the unfortunate thing is then, then um, the civilian casualty numbers are climbing. And so, um, and so um, that changes the IDP number as well. Um, um, and so, um, I mean, we just in the last week had the second largest attack on civilian uh, population uh, in the war. And um, and that was um, in the Donbass, a, um, a, um, a dormitory or 
what's really happening is that these municipalities are working to, um, and they are uh, important partners for the ACT Alliance and our ACT Alliance partners who are on the ground there. These uh, Ukrainian municipalities were putting together um, uh, um, dormitories and other types of, of refugee um, uh, centers, and they're doing this in schools and, 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 like you said, in factories and wherever they can find as hardened facilities uh, for the most vulnerable population that are there. So this is the elderly, this is uh, um, uh, people who have been uh, removed from hospitals and other health facilities. Uh, this is, um, you know, mothers with new children um, right. uh, who have not been able to travel because you know, they um, were uh, in third trimester when the, the, uh, um, the attack started, um, you know, or for other reasons, uh, people who have not been able to move along. Um, this, uh, this, in the past week, this um, one facility in the Donbass was bombed. Um, was hit by a missile attack, and um, uh, the and it was the second largest civilian casualty count in the war. And so, you know, that's happening continuously. It's not that's not going away. Those numbers are not getting smaller. And um, and then the other thing that's happening is that um, uh, the infrastructure that carries uh, clean and, and safe water. Um, electricity infrastructure and other things that's you know that are necessary for um, for um, uh, not only um, moving water but keeping water clean um, that those are um, are also being targeted and so um, and you know this is also um, uh, being questioned as a war crime because it's uh, it, it's civilian in infrastructure which is um, which is not to be uh, attacked or not to be bombed. And so that is still going on. So um, um, we have um, that also now is contributing to um, uh, the movement of people inside Ukraine as well, because um, you've got to get to where there, there's water just to be able to have water and to be able to cook and things like that. So um, so that number, I don't think, is going to really fluctuate too much. It's probably going to stay in the six to seven million um, as the war continues. And people inside Ukraine who are just not going to leave the country are there. Um, there's a, a woman who um, has agreed to allow us to share her story. Um, and she is, um, uh, her name is Irina. Um, and she has two children. And, um, and she was in the Donbass with her family, her parents said, you know, we're just too old. We're not going to leave. We're, um, this is, this is our home and we just, we're not going to start over somewhere else. So she tried as long as she could to stay with her parents. Um, they did not have a basement. They did not have a, a hardened structure, uh, that they could move into. So they used furniture and, and, um, and doors and things like that to create their own kind of bomb shelter inside the home. And then a missile hit uh, very close to the house, and they realized that that was just not a sufficient structure to protect them. And um, and at the uh, uh, and soon after that, her sister's apartment was completely destroyed by a, another missile attack. And so the the sister moved in with the parents, and she has now taken her two children and gone from uh, from the Donbass. Uh, all the way to uh, the Hungarian border, which is, I mean, if you've seen the maps of Ukraine, I don't have the mileage down from the, for that, but um, it was a 20-hour train ride for her. 
And, um, and the way that she talks about it was that there was not only no place to sit, but for the adults, they were all standing for the entire 20 hours. And she had two very young children. Um, the, the two children would sleep on the adults' feet um, because, you know, the adults were just not moving. They were packed in so tight into the mm -hmm. train car. And, um, and so now um, uh, she is uh, uh, in a shelter that's provided um, by um, our uh, one of the partners, one of the Act Alliance partners, the Hungarian Interchurch um, Inter right. Aid, um, which you spoke about. They put together uh, one of these facilities with a municipality in eastern Ukraine um, that is a, it's a converted school and um, have brought in, you know, the beds and, and they're providing three meals a day for uh, for families there and um, and um, hygiene products and everything else that is are needed for uh, for them to be sustained in that place. Um, but she's not leaving. She, her husband is, um, he's a school teacher who's now on the defense force. And because he's in uh, um, the now Russian occupied East, um, if she were to go back, uh, she would also be seen as, um, as an enemy combatant supporting somebody who's on the, on the defense force. Um, so she cannot go back home. She cannot take her children back home, but she will not leave the country as long as her husband is fighting for the country. And um, and it's just that's just one story of of millions that are like this now. And um, uh, and it's um, it's not that piece is just not going to change as long as you have the group of people who their family, their parents, their their husbands, their wives are all involved and, and not able to leave. They're not going to leave as well. So IDPs are um, an important piece of this, and the fact that Hungarian Interchurch Aid has been, you know, um, uh, for years on the ground in Ukraine and and have um, uh, offices and facilities there, they're operating in some of the most um, uh, kind of intensely uh, in areas with the most intense fighting happening right now. So. Um, their um, offices that are in the Donbass are still um, being utilized as uh, as um, warehouses for food distribution. They're working very closely with uh, um, uh, Ukraine-based uh, um, farmers and other food suppliers to to uh, utilize local resources uh, in response to the war and. Um, and just an amazing organization, the fact that they're on the ground doing that work. And then there's another organization that is um, uh, one of our partners there that is, um, I was kind of surprised when I found out about them. Um, they're Swiss Church Aid. So the Swiss are um, really on the ground, mostly uh, doing the work of receiving refugees um, as they leave. And so um, they're in Hungary, Romania, Poland, Moldova, um, and they've got uh, um, uh, warehouses in uh, Transcarpathia and Lviv, and um, and um, and then they're also they've got um, uh, warehouses that are in Kharkiv and Odessa and Kherson. So they're they're around um, Ukraine and they're in Ukraine. But they're really doing the work of focusing on receiving refugees as they're coming out of the country. Um, and, um, and so when you have partners like that that have been 
on the ground in the place before the war, um, really doing very active work. You know, a lot of these um, NGOs were there because Ukraine really is um, uh, the breadbasket for uh, a lot of the NGO work that happens in, um, you know, in, pr to provide food security in places like um, uh, Africa, especially West Africa. A lot of grain leaves Ukraine and goes into uh, to places all around um, hmm. um, that part of the world. And so, um, so the, a lot of our NGO partners were there because that was a sourcing spot for the food security work they were doing elsewhere. And so they continue to be there now, um, and have turned their focus um, from use, from uh, from the partnerships they had in Ukraine as food suppliers to now helping to feed people in Ukraine. And they're using utilizing those local resources, and and the folks that they have been partnering with there are now partnering with them uh, to to save their own country and to save their own people and to provide food and water and shelter and and um, and showers and supplies for the people that are their neighbors and their families. Yeah. That's an element that I I'm not sure that everybody is aware of. I wasn't very much aware of the fact that. Uh, the destruction of the infrastructure, destruction of people's lives, destruction of crops. Um, some places I've read where where uh, some Russian takeovers of of uh, food storage areas and so forth has then uh, a horrible impact in terms of food insecurity in many parts of the world. Yeah, um, uh, Ukraine, um, I, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but Ukraine does uh, provide, uh, a, a lot of Ukraine's um, GDP comes from the export of uh, especially grain, mm -hmm. um, but other food sources. And you know, a lot of people did not know before the war, a lot of people here in the United States didn't know that um, that it, uh, Ukraine was the, uh, the largest supplier outside of the United States of sunflower oil. Um, so, um, so plant-based uh, oil um, and grain uh, is the exports of those. Really, is um, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to make up a number. It is a very large part of their GDP, and um, and so um, uh, that is going to have also very long-term effects on the food security of other parts of the planet. Um, because Ukraine, I mean, Ukraine is, um, um, you know, you, you have a background in, in Iowa and you know what a, what a food basket Iowa is. So if we were to imagine what it would be like to lose um, some of these, you know, very large uh, um, farming areas in the United States, what would happen to our own food security in this country? So to lose Ukraine as a supplier, not only for um, for Eastern Europe and for Russia, uh, Russia is um, really kind of attacking one of its own um, uh, food suppliers, um, but also for um, for North Africa, West Africa, um, uh, just really the huge amounts of food that they supply to the world that is going to have a, a long term impact um, outside of Ukraine, and you know, and I think that it's it, it, um, because of that that we're now going to be moving into a crisis that really is, um, is it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have much larger and much longer term impacts um, than simply 
and I don't want to say simply, but then, but only what we're currently looking at um, as the refugee crisis. It's going to have a food security impact on a much larger scale for a long time. Yeah. So when we help someone in Ukraine, we're really helping neighbors all around the world. Exactly. Exactly. And um, the um, uh, the Hungarian inner church aid is um, is working uh, very closely with uh, Ukrainian farmers um, and um, uh, and really trying to help keep the food products moving. Um, that's that to me that's a Herculean task that they have in front of them. Um, and it's um, uh, but it's also if um, just simply supporting that piece of their work to me is something that is is it has food security implications well beyond Ukraine. Yeah. So, Sean, let me ask you um, a sort of micro level question. Someone at Hope Gateway makes a generous contribution through Hope Gateway to go to ACT Alliance. Um, can you trace the journey of that dollar and how long it might take from uh, Portland, Maine to make a difference through Hungarian inner church aid or any of the other partners there? Um, timing wise, it's really uh, um, uh, very little time at all these days because everything is, is transferred electronically. Um, it's um, that that paper dollar is not necessarily having to, to get on a ship or <laughs> be transported somewhere. I mean, these these things happen really very quickly now with electronic transfer. Um, and um, and so, um, you know, it's. Uh, if if we could portion it out, I, you know, I, I I don't have the exact um, uh, breakdown, so I couldn't give you a a percent of uh, that dollar. Um, however, um, it is primarily going to um, with our partners um, internal. Uh, so it's going into Ukraine. Um, it is going into Ukraine, in into places where partnerships with municipalities, Ukrainian municipalities, are working to um, provide uh, basic resources for the most vulnerable there. Um, so um, our partners are working on providing uh, food, hygiene, showers, clean water, um, and uh, and um, the and the shelter necessary. Um, so uh, although those shelter uh, the shelter infrastructure usually is provided by the municipalities, things like um, the beds, the the, um, the 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 structures that are needed inside those places are coming in because of our partners in those places. And um, and then the same is true on uh, the pieces of that dollar that go to the border to help those people who are coming out of Ukraine. Um, it is uh, the, the the same types of things, especially. I mean, it, it's um, I, I'm always really struck when you say it. It doesn't sound like, like much really at first, but if you really think about, um, especially folks like Arena who have uh, come all the way across the country on a train for 20 hours and then take the time it takes to cross the border, which is probably at least another 20 hours to 20 to 72 hours to get outside of the country. 
Um, and then by the time they get to a, a, a reception center and can become uh, a, um, a, a registered refugee from Ukraine, all the time it takes to just have a shower. And so to me, the shower is um, um, one of the things that, you know, it, after all of that, um, to, to have a safe and clean place for that uh, for that person and their children uh, to be clean is, um, to me, a, a remarkable thing. And that goes along with the hygiene products and the, the food and, uh, and other uh, shelter infrastructure pieces that are, are necessary. Um, so, so you have that, you have the pieces that are going into Ukraine and uh, being spent there. And then you have the, the parts of that dollar that are being spent on the, uh, the, uh, um, with our partners that are, are doing the work of reception. And then you have the, uh, the, um, portions of that dollar that really are doing the work of making sure, especially that, um, uh, uh, the, um, the partners and infrastructure are in place to make sure that especially women and girls um, are safe and not trafficked. Um, and, uh, and so this is providing resources that are psychosocial resources, um, that are security resources and training uh, to be able to make sure that, um, that when women and girls arrive in the places outside, uh, immediately outside of Ukraine, and even internally, um, that uh, that the resources are there to help them stay safe and protected. Um, and uh, unfortunately, that's um, I mean that's a problem in, in the work that the ACT Alliance is doing everywhere in the world, not just Ukraine. Um, it's not it's not um, um, special to Ukraine, um, but it is of course amplified in situations like this. So, um, so, um, so those types of things as well. And, uh, you know, something else that's like that is that one of the things that the Ukrainian government has done, the, uh, um, the, um, uh, the work of education of young children, most of the IDP children have access now to online education. And, um, and so supporting those, uh, types of, of, um, the, the ramping up, I mean, it's almost so we knew that, you know, uh, here in the United States that um, that ed the educational system had to change rapidly during the uh, the, the peak of the COVID pandemic. Um, um, it, so the same was the case in Ukraine. And uh, so a lot of that infrastructure was done and, and those pieces were put into place during, you know, in 2020. Um, and now the the uh, the continuation of that and making sure that resources are available for children to be able to continue their studies um, online, uh, you know, so making sure that there are um, uh, th that there's working Wi-Fi and the technology necessary for children to be able to study. That's uh, that's a small percentage of that dollar, um, but it's there. It's it's a piece of it. Um, so I, I wish I could give you the the pie chart. But yeah. Um, yeah, that's the um, those are, a, those are some of the places. That's a wonderful verbal pie chart and and so helpful. I was going to say, Sean, that uh, the hope of this conversation today is to help people become more aware uh, 
of the of the, the reality of life at the moment in Ukraine and surrounding countries, and also to uh, beyond that raise awareness and then perhaps a desire to continue to support, even though uh, you know it's kind of fallen away from the the day to day reporting. You're the senior director of engagement. So we're talking about engagement here in a sense. Knowing more helps. What else can be helpful to engage people in the long run to make a difference in Ukraine? You know, I think that um, I've learned this lesson probably uh, best from my friend and yours, Katie Mears. Um, that, uh, um, you know, in any situation, you know, long after Anderson Cooper leaves, the church is still there. Right. The church was there long before and the church will continue thereafter. And so, um, so when we develop these, uh, these partnerships, we're, we're developing partnerships that um, that have been there um, uh, for for many years and will continue on after you know we're after our awareness moves on, and so um, so I tend to think of it as um, uh, you know from in my perspective as a as a um, as a Christian on the, and as our presiding bishop says in the uh, the Jesus branch of the or the as in the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement. Mm -hmm. I now misstated my bishop um, in the, the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement. We, you know, um, we tend to uh, look at how those partnerships and those those relationships really are um, about how we share in uh, in God's project of loving our neighbor. And um, and so that is, um, you know, that is something that this opportunity provides. It provides us to ask the question, who is my neighbor? It um, it gives us an, a, a new, unique perspective of, of what's what the answer to that question is. Um, and it's um, um, it's a pretty uh, um, amazing opportunity for us to uh, to enter into partnership with folks that um you know, I, um, I didn't know anything about Hungarian interchurch aid before the Ukrainian crisis. You know, there are some, there are a lot of partners in the ACT Alliance. And so to know something about each of them and to find out, you know, the, the work that they've been doing for years, uh, to become a partner in, um, in this kind of new phase of that work, I think is an incredible opportunity. So, um, so, so helping them now is a great thing, and uh, and then um, you know kind of taking on the commitment to uh, to you know how is it that we can uh, partner in such a way that we can continue with them um, I think is a, a, a an important question for us to ask. So um, so I think it's um, you know as one of the things that the way I like to look at it, um, one of the things that Katie Mears has done is um, is she helped the Episcopal Church to understand that we have. And so Katie's focus, if you don't know, is the is our U.S. disaster program. Right. And so we have 
Episcopal churches all over the United States. And so what she did was she said, well, let's start mapping the assets we have on the ground as Episcopalians to, uh, to recognize what are the churches, what are the facilities, what are the, uh, you know, the, are there kitchens, are there, are there laundry facilities? Right. And she started asking every church in the Episcopal church um, to uh, begin mapping those assets. And she put together what was called the Episcopal Asset Map. Um, it's online. You can see it at episcopalassetmap.org. And, um, and that really is um, an amazing tool that because of, of the mapping technology, it, we can take, for instance, NOAA maps and look at um, uh, hurricane uh, uh, projections and say, where is the hurricane expected to hit? And look at that overlaid on top of what are the available assets we have on the ground there? So, um, so it really is um, uh, um, the the Episcopal asset map is something that has helped our organization, Episcopal Relief and Development, to be able to say um, uh, um, we have many gifts that we can utilize in a situation going forward, um, no matter what, uh, what no matter what. Um, uh, that situation might be, we can always look at what those gifts are. So to partner with um, uh, an organization like Act Alliance is something that that is basically um, uh, um, it gives us the opportunity to become a part of that asset collective mm -hmm. and um, and to become partnered with uh, with folks who have many different gifts in many different places and to continue on in, in those ways. So, um, so um, to, to partner around the Ukrainian crisis with the Act Alliance is to partner with people who are, can continue this work for a very long time. And so to give them the opportunity, I mean, even in the short run, if there are short run gifts and we start to lose our, our focus and move on to whatever the next big crisis might be, um, that we are still helping them to expand their capacity currently. And as long as we can continue to partner with them and going forward, I think that it's, it, it helps them to, um, to utilize the gifts they have in ways that, um, that they might not currently have the capacity to do. We're, we're providing more capacity for them. And, um, and it's, um, you know, I think that it's one of those things that when, uh, when we participate, it's, it, it, you know, it, it, it's karma, I think. I, you know, I, I really do think that that um, when we develop these partnerships, that that at some point we're going to recognize that we're the ones on the ground, and that we're the ones who um, who are going to um, be best. Uh, um, um, I, I almost said the word capacitized, which I don't think is a <laughs> word, but but you know that we'll, we'll be able to um, uh, to really. Um, uh, enter into those relationships on the receiving end as well and um, and to learn what that means. So so to me, those types of partnerships are invaluable and go on. I, I like what you just said, particularly uh, enter into relationships. I think that's for me what it's all about. Uh, you can write a check, you can put something on a, a charge card and send it off and electronically uh, like uh, the Apple email platform and it's gone and mom almost momentarily it's there in some other asset bank um, 
And that's important. I don't want to under uh, under undervalue that in any way. What's more important, it seems to me, is what you said, developing relationships uh, and living out the Matthew 25 invitation and imperative, or to say we're part of a much larger experience where if someone hurts, we hurt. If someone dances, we dance. And what we want to do, it seems to me, in the Hope Gateway community and elsewhere, is to be difference makers and to be compassionate, capacitized persons to to uh, listen to and and be uh, compassionate in the moment and to be committed to uh, a healing more wholesome way of living uh, in the long run of time and in God's community, timeless as well as of the moment. So, Sean, thanks so much for this time today, for sharing um, the visions of what's going on in terms of partnering with many others to tell the story of the hard reality of what exists and to help us all to engage to have a long-term relationship with folks half a world away that we may never see with our eyes, but we live with with our hearts. Thanks, Sean. Thank you, Art. It was really my pleasure to be with you today. Thanks for the conversation. To learn more about Hope Gateway in Portland, Maine, please visit www.hopegateway.com. Please visit www.hopegateway.com.